Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. Today, we're talking with distance rider, writer, and pianist, Erin Glassman whose motto is, the sky is the limit. Today, she's talking about her 2023 journey with the Tevis Cup. Welcome, Erin. So, Erin Glassman, thank you and welcome back to Endurance Horse Podcast. Good morning. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So, I'm going to give just a very brief uh, overview. This was your third Tevis completion? Yes. Yes. So, 2017, it was Rio. And uh, 2018, it was Rio. And I do believe that you were on here um, talking about that ride a bit um, and that it was a little of a struggle bus ride, but that your friend Charlie had had helped you through and that you even got to do the victory lap together. Yes, that that um, that ending to Tevis 2018 forged a wonderful friendship. Charlie and Leanne are fabulous people. It was the beginning of, of a lot of adventures together. Um, my friend Laura Hayes had introduced us, and we all just really clicked. I took my daughters down uh, this last winter to visit Charlie and Leanne down in Australia, and it was kind of the foundation for really getting going this year um, in terms of competing in Tevis. Charlie and I uh, had a friend that they uh, knew down there that was going to compete on another friend's horse. And so Charlie and I are like, let's do it. (laughs) And so here we are. So speaking of Australia, I had read somewhere that you said that Tevis was a huge leap of faith that you would not have been able to make without training Rio with the down under horsemanship method. Would you want to touch on that at all? Well, yeah. Um, when 2013, there's a little backstory to to, to this. Um, well, 2012 is when I joined up with Steve and Priscilla Lindsay. Um, we have a breeding program together, and they had had it prior to us joining together. It's called Prairie Sil- Sylvania Arabians. In 2012, the liquidation of the Rush Creek herd had happened, and both Priscilla and I had seen that they were selling a lot of their stock at that about the same time, and we got together. I joined in with them, and we um, kind of developed a Rush Creek Legacy breeding program. Um, a lot of our stock still, I'm the sole owner now, uh, Steve and Priscilla have retired. They are Rush Creek bloodline. So in 2013, we were working on a horse. I had been working with her a little bit, and I got a little bit cocky. I pushed too far too fast, ended up coming off. She, well, she, she launched me and I just, I went too fast with her. And so I ended up hitting my head. She, I went over the top of her, hitting my head, rolling. I was almost standing again by the time I finished the, the, the roll and laid back down, tried to get up after I wiggled my fingers and toes. You know, uh, I'm like a good healthcare provider. I was not following, <laughs> following protocol for, you know, like a possible neck and back injury. Ended up having a T6 and 7 burst and compression fractures mm. in the rib right in there. And so my confidence obviously was 
pretty trashed as well. I went through several months of healing. I had to be in a, a back brace for about three months with a two-and-a-half-year-old girl that I couldn't pick up. She could crawl on my lap, fortunately, but that was a pretty rough go. And anyways, while I was on the couch, I spent a lot of time watching Clinton Anderson's Down Under Horsemanship Method. And so that kind of showed me a lot of things that I did wrong. It kind of helped me learn, you know, what it was that created the issue so that I could kind of quantify it and not be afraid of it. And when I was able to ride pretty much straight out of getting out of the back brace, I started, I took a clinic with um, one of his clinicians, uh, Dale Cunningham, and I technically just fresh out of the back brace, and mm. but it was on Rio, and Rio I trusted. It wasn't one of my usual horses that I had ridden when I had my accident, and then I did the clinic, and I was like maybe one or two months pregnant with, with Emery. I joke around that that was the only time he could catch me was when I was down, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I got... Um, I, I was pregnant with her and I went through this clinic. It scared the heck out of me. Part of the riding portion, you are riding in a big group of people. You're not allowed to steer your horse and you have to just sit on the horse and it's called the cruising lesson. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Anyways, I got through that. I ended up doing a lot more clinics and bolstering my knowledge. And I still follow a lot of it uh, in, in my personal training with my horses now with some modifications that I've kind of learned over the years just in terms of reading horses and, you know, getting more in tune with what they react to and what, you know, what they don't. And it really, it was my big step up into confidence again. And I can't ever, I can't ever repay the the debt for that. Uh, um, I wouldn't be here writing if I hadn't found that. So, you know, Erin, life has a lot of stories. And you recently shared with me that having Tevis as a goal to aim for kind of has inspired some of your writing about healing and how having goals and setting goals can help you heal. If you'd like to, would you like to share a little bit about that? Uh, For sure. You know, I think that all of us have traumas, whether it be an, an actual physical trauma, like a horseback accident, or, you know, maybe you've lost somebody very dear, that kind of thing. We can get so centered in the pain of it that we can't come out of that little bubble, I suppose. And kind of forcing yourself out of that comfort zone, out of that, it's not necessarily a comfortable zone, it's a comfort zone of this is where what I know, this is what I know I'm like stuck in this. And sometimes we're not even aware that we're stuck in it, but pushing yourself out of your comfort, pushing yourself to do things can kind of just get that mind working again, reaching towards a goal, getting it to where you're building like little steps of confidence. And, you know, I'm not saying go tomorrow and and do something big. There's a lot of process involved in doing something big. And in that process, we can help ourselves move forward, take a step out of that depression or that period of uh, lack of confidence or fear and reach towards the sky. 2017, aiming for Tavis, how did that help you? I had just freshly been through um, a divorce. My girls' dad and I, um, our finalization date was early 2017. When uh, we had separated, I had put that goal out there. A friend of mine, Tim Finley, had finished the Mongol Derby, and and so I had been following his track, and he was, you know, all about pushing out of your comfort zone. So he really inspired me to, like, I, I made a list of things I wanted to do, like, 
you know, just travel, get it, get away, you know, like do some of these big things, you know. And so when I had started going through this, one of my goals was to go ahead and do Tevis. One of the, the big things would be that I would help promote the breeding program that I was involved with. And I also knew that, that Rio could do it. She's a very special horse to me. I fell in love with her the second I met her. The very first time I saw her eye, there was something there. And uh, it was, you know, even even just thinking about the first time I met her, you know, it's kind of an emotional thing for me because it was just like there was a common destiny there, and it was really powerful. So when I got that goal going, it helped me get outside. I knew I had to get up and not be sitting on the couch. I knew I had to go and start riding, and we'd had a lot of miles before, but coming from the flatlands of Kansas, I knew I had to to work harder probably than what I would if I were living in the mountains out in California or even in Colorado. We don't have a lot of hills here. One of the benefits that I have is that I'm close to Sandhill State Park and in Kannapolis, Kansas. It has a lot of climbs to it. Sandhills have some deep sand to work in, and so I knew that I would try to use those things to my advantage in, in my conditioning program. I met some very dear friends along the way. In fact, partway through my goal of preparing, I actually was not going to be riding Rio. Initially, I was going to have my friend Travis ride her because I had visited with Laura Hayes and she was going to let me ride Ripple, her one of her favorite favorite mares. And in the, anyways, um, so I was working on training Rio for the conditioning. So I thought it would be really good, you know, to go ahead and have you doing this. Well, along the way, we got to Wyoming. It was the last Shamrock ride that they had put on in 2017. I met up with Laura and another friend, uh, Chris, and I wasn't able to get there until the second day. I was supposed to be riding Ripple in the 50. After the first day of the ride, Ripple came up lame. And so Laura felt bad. She offered that I ride Seth, and she has said many times through her Facebook post and through talking with her that Seth is her heart horse. And I said, I can't do that to you. I can't take your horse away from you. And so I also didn't want to do the same thing to my friend Travis because she'd been preparing as well to go out west and and ride Rio with me. And so that next day when I was headed home, I called her and I said, well, I have some bad news. And I said, "Uh, Ripple's And she goes, right away without a hesitation, well, you're riding Rio then. And after that, it was like things started really feeling real and coming into place. And it just kept, you know, snowballing that the momentum was building, that it was actually real. And, you know, my my mental health, like, really, you know, throughout the conditioning program, I was kind of like, blah, you know. Um, I didn't have a lot of, like, excitement for it. Because I think I, deep down, I really wanted to be riding Rio. With that, we were speaking of tangents earlier. You know, it, it helped me really push through that that darkness that I was going through, um, that self doubt, that the pain. Uh, you know, I I, w- I knew that I didn't want to be with the girls' dad anymore. There were a lot of series of things that had happened. I knew that I was on the right track then. Can you tell me a little bit about this year's horse that you placed 56th on? Am I correct? You placed 56th this year? 56th or 65th. I can't remember now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was one of those combinations. We came in at 451. Uh, Charlie and I both did. So uh, this is one of, he's an eight-year-old from the breeding program. He had been sold to a, a family farm up in Iowa 
probably, I think as a three-year-old, maybe a two or three-year-old, and they had started him. They used him like for working cattle. Um, they would drag calves off of him. They'd gather. They'd you know, just go out and check cattle. And my friend Joe said that, or I think it's Chad, said that you know, they're the brothers that, that really work with the farm there. And uh, they said that it would be nothing for them to go ride 30 miles in a day, you know, checking pasture where they were at. So I'm like, that's that's awesome. But they've bought several horses from us, and Chad had said that Sylvie uh, needed consistent daily riding. Joe and his wife were getting ready to have a baby this spring, and they decided that with all of the younger horses that they were working, that they wouldn't have as much time to ride him consistently. Decided they were going to sell him. Late last fall or early last fall, when they actually uh, approached me about, you know, if I knew of anybody that would, would want him. So I was like, oh, you know, well, you know, if you... you emails this way that, you know, when I have people asking, because right now I, I just have babies available. I've sold out all of my rideable age horses. And so it got to be about, oh, December and January. And Charlie and I had made our goal. And I was working on conditioning another mare of mine. She's 10, uh, Zena, and I just love her. I kind of thought that she needed more time. And she was doing really well. Uh, we'd done a 25 together and, you know, she was a rock star out there and her numbers were fabulous. But I, I got to thinking, well, maybe I need a backup plan. And, you know, just in case, you know, something happens with her because she had had like an injury on the back of her fetlock and, and I was just wanting to be extra cautious. I didn't want to ruin her. I got to thinking, okay, well, you know, Sylvie's out there. And he's one of my breeding program, and it's not the best business practice to buy your horses back. But <laughs> um, I was like, well, you know, I know he's had a lot of miles, and, you know, we'll see how this goes. So at the same time, I was working on conditioning River for Charlie to ride. He had met him in um, New Mexico when we got together last summer, and I let I let him use River on the trail. Obviously, they couldn't bring their own horses flying over from Australia. And Laura met us up there, too, uh, or down there in uh, at the, the Inbar Ranch. Charlie just fell in love with him. And, and so he called it that he thought that River had 100-mile potential. And I'm like, I believe so, yes. And so that was kind of one of the sparks of us starting the ride. Anyways, I wanted to make sure that I had a horse to ride as well. And, you know, if anything had happened, of course, I'd let Charlie take the horse um, since he was flying over. Um, anyway, kind of as we started going along, I was riding Sylvie, and um, his, his real name is P.S. Rush Creek Bonanza, but they called him Sylvie, so it just kind of stuck. I kind of got to start liking him a lot, and since I didn't really want to rush Zena on her mileage, and I knew that he'd had quite a bit, and he also worked well when I was working with having other friends ride River, he just kind of fell into the, the primary spot and became my competition horse. <laughs> Tell us a little little bit about what is it that I mean you said flatlands first so I yeah. can say flatlands now but what is it that calls you back to Tevis when you you have quite a haul from Kansas and those flatlands how do you prep and how and what is it that brought you back again for a third time to Tevis with the preparation you know I mentioned deep sand and I mentioned we do have some climbs over but Canopolis we've got some red rock canyons that we can get you know some conditioning in so that's 
kind of mainly how I prep and just do long flow distance. It's a stark contrast terrain-wise from Kansas to uh, the Sierra Nevada. I think the beauty of the trail, the history, I was listening to the podcast you had with Sonoma and, you know, we, we talked about magic. There is a huge draw to it. There's a charm. There's feeling like you're a part of history on that trail. And one of the other big things that I think draws me to it is the people. There are some fabulous people that ride in it and, and put it on. Getting to know Barbara White and, and Lori Stewart and Jenny Smith and, and Krista Turnage and all these people that I've been working with and Lucy Trumbull and getting to know these wonderful people that have gone before me on the trail and done a lot of miles, you know, it's an inspiration. It's also the challenge. Many venues, it's considered to be the world's most difficult endurance ride. I've heard people challenge that and, you know, I can't personally say, you know, what the comparison from Bighorn or Old Dominion is, but, you know, part of the challenge is not only the terrain, but, you know, getting a horse to be safe and sound for all of those vet checks, you know, passing through that, that's overall a downhill ride. However, there's a lot of climbs in it as well uh, to get to those downhills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the canyons are, oh, they're amazing. Um, they are brutal, but it's all of it put together, I think, is the draw to come back. And, and, you know, I think being inspired also by Barbara and Julie and folks that have had thousands of miles on the trail, you know, it's like, well, I could do that too, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a personal drive too, to, you know, maybe, maybe madness, maybe, um, <laughs> maybe, uh, obsession, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe somewhere in between. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it would be a little remiss of me if I didn't bring up that the trail was modified this year. And I know you do some writing for Tevis. Could you just address that? Because I have had a few other interviews and I think I forgot to bring that up that this year's trail was slightly modified. Could you address that? Absolutely. First of all, it was a Herculean effort to put the ride on this year with all of the weather and catastrophic events that have affected it. The record snowfall fires around Forest Hill and and Michigan Bluff. It's amazing that the team did what it did and in such a short notice because Um, Really, they did not have the trail put together, I think, until like late June, early July. And as a ride manager myself, having to put together all those moving parts at the last minute, it, it can be very challenging. And I have a huge respect for everything that that the whole team of volunteers did to bring the ride together. So this is the third time, I believe, in history that we've started from Soda Springs. My very first ride was from Soda Springs. So it it actually worked out really good because I wasn't sure I've upgraded rigs just because we all are getting to the point where we're riding. And so I have a bigger trailer. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, it was a happy coincidence because I was nervous about somebody driving my trailer up out of Roby. So um, pulling into the Soda Springs parking lot is a heck of a lot easier getting around um, right off the highway than winding through the uh, Sierra and over towards Lake Tahoe. But it was a little different start than we did in 2017. Um, We had a controlled two-mile walk up to the starting point. It was a little bit of a, a... challenging start for me just because like to be honest this was okay and this is not something I recommend for anybody this was Sylvie's first competitive ride (laughs) ever (laughs) so 
um, I had had him through some situations like where it was, you know, like a lot of horses and that kind of thing. So I knew he could keep his mind. I, I was very, you know, I've been riding him quite a bit. So I, I, you know, I felt very comfortable with him, but he jigged pretty much the whole time up there to the controlled start. And I ended up getting down and walking him for a little bit until he kind of calmed down because he, he wanted to catch up to everybody. And, you know, that's kind of a normal start for a lot of horses, but, you know, I try to work on having a horse's brain with me. The partnership is a huge thing for me in terms of training. And so it was, it was a big risk for me to do that, both staying on and, you know, for pushing out of your comfort zone. I was very confident that, you know, he had a lot of miles behind him. The the trail itself, you know, we had some, there were some very similar parts. Um, coming into into Robinson was a little bit different, but it was very doable. Let's see, uh, leaving Forest Hill was very similar up front, but in terms of we were on the canyons to begin with, and it was dark um, <laughs> by the time we left. And then, but once we got around past Cal 2, that was where we changed up and went into up by Forest Hill Bridge. There was a lot of climbing. Once you kind of get used to the trail and, and sort of know where you're at, then, I mean, you can kind of figure your time. But this was a new thing, you know, to try to figure out how much distance they went and how much timing we had and what kind of pace we needed to set and where we can move out and that kind of thing. But uh, they were, both of the horses were excellent in the dark. They, we didn't even use headlamps or glow sticks. I think I turned my headlamp on once because there was kind of this dark abyss looking thing in front of me. I'm like, where the heck is the trail? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, but other than that, we relied totally on the horse's vision and they were both just amazing. Uh, Charlie and I rode together the whole ride and, and it was, it was wonderful. They, they worked well together and they worked off of each other too. Finding, you know, the way, it was always like um, on that last segment, it, it seemed long. You know, we had been told certain mileages, and, it, you know, it, it seemed like forever for a while there. <laughs> and, but we, we did make it down to the bridges, and then the rest of it was home from there, the, the standard trail. Correct me if I'm wrong, but 2017, there were about 174 horses started, but this year there were fewer than 100. So it's not quite half, but it was almost half as many as your first event. How did that affect you? Was it a little less crowded at that beginning? And also, what do you think the reasoning is for that? I think some of the factor was not getting to know the trail early on, um, you know, not knowing the usual trail for a lot of people. To me, it was more, my my horses don't know the trail anyway, so it's a new trail no matter what. I don't really care. I, I've had friends that, you know, they decided not to start because it was an alternative trail, and I think that was probably a factor on many people's part in terms of not coming out, uh, period. I would hope that in the future, you know, should we have those trail changes, I hope that people do come out uh, because it, it really, it was a class act ride uh, as, as always. In a way, it was kind of nice that there were fewer people. We had, you know, like we had the canyons to ourselves. Charlie and I were, you know, towards the back, if not the back for a while. We were really working towards doing a very conservative ride because of, I, I didn't have them tested. I didn't have them. You know, I wasn't 100% confident in what they could do. I always had it in the back of my mind that 
you know, if we need to pull, we'll do it early. You know, we will stop before the horse gets in trouble. You know, you can't always predict that, but you can, you know, if they if they quit eating, they quit drinking, you know, if we were having issues with, you know, like poop and pee and that kind of thing, or, or you know, they just acted really fatigued. I was very, very much on the plan of pulling them, you know, if we needed to. I think that, you know, people go out and they have the goal of getting the buckle, and I always try to make my goal and I hope I always do that I want to have a, a healthy sound horse and enjoy the trail that I get we, do, we don't always get to choose what we do but if we can enjoy what we get then you know it's still a win and I think that you know if people look at the cost to get out there people look at the, the effort mm-hmm. to get out there you know I think sometimes people put that into, into action with anything and they're just not willing to take a jump if they can't be almost sure they're going to, they're finishing it. Mm-hmm. Um, my perspective is, is that we never know if we're going to finish. Mm-hmm. We never know if, you know, we're going to get out there. My, my trip started off with a, a blown front truck tire on the driver's side. <laughs> and consequently, it ended with a blown passenger front truck tire, even though we had put brand new tires on, you oh, know, no. if I had, if I had stuck with, you know, like those as an omen, I mean, it could have shut me down mentally, but you know, if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, you'll go where you're supposed to go. That's kind of how I look at it. I remember growing up and hearing a lot in my family, this kind of a, I guess it wasn't meant to be, I guess you shouldn't, <laughs> you know, and if you think about yeah. growing up, hearing that over and over, since you can remember hearing words that can kind of do some negative programming into your brain that Anytime you hit a negative, then that means you should stop and you shouldn't be doing that thing. But Randy Paulson, he, he spent his last months of living going out and teaching people that when you hit that wall, that doesn't mean that you need to push past it. So give me Aaron's short little version of that pep talk about not stopping and going, oh, wasn't supposed to go that way. (laughs) Well, if you come along obstacles in your path, I look at it as a challenge to find an alternative way. You can't just let it be a roadblock. You know, there's always a way around something if you look hard enough, if you try. You know, one of the things that I do try to be very cautious about is making sure I'm not surrounded by negative talk. A lot of times I will not talk about my plans ahead of time, not because I'm superstitious necessarily. I am a little. I'm a, I'm a healthcare worker. I, I always have a little bit of like knock on wood, you know, kind of thing going. You know, one of the things, and I'm not trying to pick on my mom here, but like some of my family members too, you know, it's like, well, I wouldn't want to do that. Well, no, that's you, you know, um, mm-hmm. that's, that's your perspective. And just because you don't want to do it doesn't mean that I don't want to do it. You know, I tend to like pile my plate with a lot of things to do a lot. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I way overdo a lot of things, but you know, I mean, it's like we get one life and I really just want to make an impact on the world. And I just think that if I put myself out there and I, you know, I help and I do things that, you know, maybe I can make it a little bit better for at least one person or one, you know, one animal or, you know, that kind of thing. So, and it, it becomes addictive. It becomes like a, like a mantra really, you know, to, to just keep, keep moving forward and, and helping others, you know, and, and like every, I don't, 
try to shirk little jobs. You know, I try to help out when somebody, you know, even needs to clean up something, you know, like the, a, a spill at work or whatever, you know, if they need help, I'll, I'll jump right in there. You know, the thing is, is that it, it's useful not only for, you know, like skills that you can use down the road, but also team building, you know, also uh, becoming a good leader and and trying to help others around you. So, you know, I, I think, you know, working, focusing on positive and like just not seeing things in a negative light as a, mm-hmm. as a bad omen, you know, I think it's a, you have to train your brain to do it. But once you get there, it becomes more easy to do that consistently. And I think you can get more accomplished. You can do greater things. You know, none of us are falling along with like the Pollyanna effect. So I don't want to go that way with it. But I do want to go your muscle building because it's so funny that you mentioned this because it's kind of been on my mind a lot lately in two forms of one being what you marinate in because let's let's be honest a lot of our listeners are women that cook <laughs> so we yeah, all we know right. we yeah. all know at or least the men. <laughs> yeah and the men cook too yes my husband cooks yeah, usually yeah. On, on the weekends yeah. and I cook during the week it is the idea of marinating and you know and so I actually made a Facebook post recently about marinating and to, mm-hmm. to myself so that I when I write yeah. things out that's how I learn so if I'm writing if you ever see me writing a positive post you know it's like oh honey I'm not yeah. writing that to you saying I'm perfect I'm writing that to right. me saying hey Chris remember this one you know so right I had um, <laughs> been having one of my little morning time you know devotions with God thing and and that kind of came up to me was marinating and that like you know, Chris, you have to be careful what you're marinating in. Because, like, I made beef tips this right. weekend. I marinated them in red wine and left that overnight and, and spices. And that improved the quality of that meal. So I think that if we want our daily lives to be improved, not only is it that analogy of a muscle that you have to, hey, you know, negativity is a muscle. Negativity, if you keep going down that trail in your brain, you make a highway in your brain to negativity. So you get there faster, you know, and and if you're making a positive track in your brain, and in this day and age, this is why I'm I'm leaving this in here and adding this in here is because we are so surrounded by negativity in this world right now. And And it's like what you said, you have to carve out your own trail. You have to um, work that muscle. If you start to get in the habit, and nobody can do it all day even. So to do Uh it cumulatively is very hard. But if you can carve out in your spirit that, okay, I'm going to start going down this, this positive track today for this long and it might work until you hit road rage you know but you have to try you have to try to develop that muscle and that path and however you want to think about it or what do you marinate in and it sounds like you know you're applying that same principle because you're trying to weed out and lessen the negativity in your life and you can't do it all you can't no um, push all that out and and I just want to clarify you know saying that my mom had that momism of you know, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> she right, obviously right. heard. She obviously heard that a lot too. But I didn't. I'm not saying anything yeah. bad about my mom. My mom is. A, oh no. A, a little bit yeah. of a, a little bit of a badass. She's very, very tough yeah. lady, and taught me to be tough. She, she is the whole reason that I am a generous person. Because people always say, "Oh, you're yeah. you're so generous. You do all these kind things." You know, I had a really tough mom who one of her top priorities was always to help other people no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, she was, 
usually a, a single mom with three kids struggling with three kids and three jobs. And so wow. I, I just really watched her work and be tough. And um, so I don't want to paint her in that light that that was a um, she was a, a Debbie Downer or anything like that. But she would occasionally no, no. say wasn't meant to be. <laughs> you know, you were talking about building neural pathways um, very much the things that we practice, you know, physically. If you shoot basketball hoops day in, day out, you're going to have muscle memory and you're going to go right to that position when you need to go make the shot during the game. If you practice riding, you're going to post without thinking about it. But if you continue building that neural pathway of positivity and making choices, you know, I'm not saying we can't talk to the people in our lives that are negative or tend to be negative, you know, that that's kind of how the country's gone right now is that, you know, we, we think that we can't talk to somebody because this or that on the political scale. That's absolutely not true. Um, you choose how you react to people and you choose whether you keep that information or you don't. And mm-hmm. that's what I try to do on a daily basis is, you know, somebody may tell me something negative and and I can I've gotten to the point now where I can say well that's just their thing you know that's Mm -hmm. not me you know yeah Yeah. and and that's (laughs) that's a great point because you know it it is it is something we're all hearing and dealing with and um you know whatever your political leaning you have to love each other you know you just have but you also can't what's that saying you have to stand for something or fall for anything but that doesn't i I think something's been lost where people aren't saying hey i i love this person even though even though we don't agree and that that is just i hope that's something that we can get back by by truly focusing on the positive and my point was you know we've all been kind of almost force fed like like what is that what is that they do to ducks that's just terrible like foie gras oh yeah like foie gras yeah yeah they shoot the fat down and yeah (laughs) I feel like we've all been force fed with a fire hose like these ducks that all this negativity and it's like wait somebody's yeah I can't let somebody else's narrative control my life so I went from right um, there's a difference between drinking that glass of wine or marinating in it. <laughs> do you right, know what I mean? Right. There's a difference. Yes, and right. so now what I do is I go, okay, this constant information coming in from media is like a junk food diet. You cannot have that all the time. You have to turn no. it off. So I, right. I don't, I don't want to be an ostrich. I don't want to have my head in the sand. I also right. do not want to be foie gras. <laughs> right, right. Well, and one of the things that I tend to not do is watch the, the news programs all the time. Um, I found out years ago that all it did was made me angry. <laughs> and, and I'm like, life is too short to put energy into yeah. becoming angry. And, you know, and especially over some of the things that we can't mm-hmm. control. So, you know. Focusing on the things that you can control, like your attitude and what, yeah, you know, it makes you a happier person. And And there's there's only so much space in your life. There's only so much time in your life. And do you want to, like, take those, like, little placards and hand those out to the media? I just don't. I just... I, I, I fell for it for a while, and now I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Nope, that's it. I'm cutting this off. 20 minutes is enough. I am not right. doing any more. So what yeah. a tangent for a Nerd Source podcast. But, oh, I know. But we're well, all... One, t- one last little thing. I, I tend to just read the news versus, like, actually, Listen. you know, watch it, because mm-hmm. then I can, like, take it in on my own time. The whole thing is... 
overwhelming. And what it does make me do is pull back more and go, I'm going to spend time with my horse and my kids and my business. And I'm just yeah. back away quietly because this is, this is a lot. So, um, okay. Right. So for aspiring, see, this is why I don't do live. <laughs> I cannot get past my own lips sometimes. So Erin, before we go for aspiring riders, I have one last question for you. For those who are dreaming of completing Tevis or actually any hundred, we've had so much advice on Endurance Horse Podcast in the last almost six years now. Um, one of those pieces of advice is for people to start out with a hundred that is on terrain that they've already trained on. So maybe maybe people not aiming at Tevis, but aiming for a hundred. What advice would you give somebody preparing for a hundred to help them mentally and physically get ready for this event, whether it's Tevis or Bighorn or any other 100? Well, I think that, you know, just do it in the words of Nike, you know, just to be mm-hmm. cliche here. Um, if you If you are wanting to do it, Get out there and go. Get out there and start doing your writing. Don't say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Don't say, I'm going to do it, you know, in 10 years. Just make the goal, set it set it in, and just start working towards it. Because you're going to always have things that come up. You're always going to have obstacles. I meant to be out there before this year, and, you know, COVID came up, and, you know, different, different things. So I think put one foot in front of the other. One of the strategies that I use and, and Charlie uses as well is, to, instead of thinking of it as the whole trail, just break it off into bits, just do little bits at a time. So we're going to this first bet check. You know, we've got 10 miles to get there. And, you know, and then once we pass that, then we'll look at what we need to do next. I think that using that, that positive mindset, don't think that you can't do it. Think that you can, because whatever you think, you're right. I, I totally believe that statement. And I'm not sure who to give credit to on that. But it's Zig yeah, yeah. Whatever, you know, if you think you can or you can't, you're right. It's either Zig Ziglar or yeah. or Roan that said that. But yeah, it. Yeah. I, I've heard yeah. that a lot, and and it does apply to hundreds. But I think you know, obviously, we have to prepare the horse. Absolutely. Um, over preparation is probably a concern. I would think also. Yeah, I do tend to use a lot of rest in my program. When we stress their muscles, they have to recover to build back up to be stronger. I've had the great fortune of being also able to incorporate some water treadmill into my program of, of training. And oh gosh, if I win the lottery, I'm buying one tomorrow. But they're they're fabulous, you know. But like just you know, spending the time getting to know your horse. I don't use a lot of electronic. Um, in fact, I, I have my watch and that's about it. And it's like a simple Ironman Timex watch that I use. I, I don't use a lot of GPS. I don't use like heart rate monitors for the most part. And some people might think that that's like old fashioned or, you know, behind the times, but, you know, kind of, we can get so tied up in looking at numbers and looking at, you know, like statistics and looking at, at you know, like, um, distances and that kind of stuff that we forget to look at the horse. And, you know, if you can, if you can get so in tune with your horse in terms of like uh, when they need to cut back and when they need to be pushed and, you know, that kind of thing, I think you're going to do a heap a lot better in terms of your, your training and your, and where you get to, you know, having a horse that, you know, is athletically capable, not all horses are going to be able to do it. But, you know, if you've got one that is athletic and, you know, that, that trains well, and a big part of this is a mind, you know, I don't want to take a horse that 
I think is a sketchy, you know, player uh, in terms of if he's really extra spooky or, you know, like, you know, doesn't want to listen, you know, in stressful situations, then that's not some, that's not a horse you want to take. But like getting to the point where if you want to do it, start working today and start going for it today, because before you know it, time's going to pass on and you will have missed your goal. You know, you just can't let anything get in your way. So, you know, Aaron. I was thinking about the overwhelming theme for this podcast, which feel free to text me back and um, help me name it, (laughs) because I usually do one short name. But I think that it's something to do with how you have taken negatives in life and you turned them into rocket fuel, you know, And, and you did that when people could take an obstacle in their life and turn it into a detour, roadblock, whatever. But your audio for me for this episode is reminding people that there's an option sometimes. I mean, and in, in some situations are devastating and people can't um, do that. And it truly is, it truly is a, a roadblock. But I would just tell people, pause and think. This thing that happened, um, maybe you can turn it into rocket fuel to say, oh, I actually, yeah. I want it more now. I want this more now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like maybe more, you know, as we were talking about, well, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Well, maybe it is, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, you can take that as, as an impetus to, to move forward. You know, this is your shakeup moment and time to move forward. This is your sign that, that life is ahead of you yet and that, you know, the, the sky is the limit. Well, my dear, you know, I know you have to go. You have to get into work and I have to go. Jim's waiting for me. But I want to thank you. I can't believe it's been this long. And I don't think we have. <laughs> I don't think we have chatted before because I didn't have your number and my Rolodex. Yeah. Number, so. Oh, yeah. That's that's funny. This It's been very pleasant. Thank you very much for well, th- inviting me to, to speak. So <laughs> thank you. And again, the offer holds uh, firm for the War Horse Journal podcast. Okay. When cool. you when you get some of these stories down into a book, I want to I want to hear back from you and I want you over okay. on, on that episode also. Oh, that would be excellent. So, yeah, I'll uh, I need to get that fire burning under my butt too. So, <laughs> Here's your <No>. reminder. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Exactly. All right, dear, <laughs> you that. you have a good rest of your day now. Okay, you too. Thanks, Chris. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. I'd like to invite you to come on over and check out my other podcast. It is the War Horse Journal Podcast. That's where we talk to authentic equestrians, authors, and artists. We have some new episodes out recently, so come on over and check it out. If you would like to support Endurance Horse Podcast, you can do so by giving us a great rating on whichever platform you listen to. And so we've been doing Endurance Horse Podcast since 2018. And if you like to financially support us, you can go and join one of our challenges. You can find those at www.warhorseendurance.com. It's all one word. And you can just click on a challenge that you'd like to do. And I promise you, you will love the awards packets that we send out. Ride far, ride well, ride often. 